identify. How do you identify yourself? Who are you? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you this and that? And over the years, people try to figure out where I am in that spectrum. My conservative friends seem to think I'm a little too liberal and my liberal friends seem to think I'm a little too conservative, but I don't know that the middle is where I am. But several years ago, I was living in a little town and I got on this uh, health, community health board uh, and it, it didn't turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be advocacy for people who can't afford health care, um, but they didn't have any money and they didn't have any power and so they didn't know what to do. And so finally they figured out uh, they could uh, petition the city council to make that town a, a smoke-free town because uh, it wouldn't cost them any money uh, to do that. Well, I was sitting in the church office and I was talking to, to Dr. Pat, Dr. Pat, a retired doctor, just a wonderful guy. And uh, he asked me, he said, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I said, well, I think I imagine myself as a fierce independent. And then I got up and I went to this meeting and they're talking about making the town a smoke-free town. This is not Fredericksburg, okay, you understand. Instead of the employees being able to smoke a cigarette outside the front door, they have to go stand 60 feet away from the building. And, I, uh, and then they started complaining about HEB employees that have a cigarette just outside and they, you walk past and the smoke irritates them and they didn't like that. And I finally got worked up into a fit of, uh, I don't know if it's righteous indignation or self-righteous indignation, but I said, uh, I said, look, I said, um, walking past someone at the front of HEB who's smoking a cigarette is not going to give you cancer. That is not a public health issue. It's their health issue, but it's not our health issue. But if you make them stand 60 feet away, they're either going to get hit by a car or it's going to rain on them and they're going to end up in the hospital. And those people are underpaid and overworked. And if they got to go outside and have a smoke to calm down, then by God, that's their constitutional right. <laughs> and I left the meeting never to be invited back. <laughs> and I went back to the church and Dr. Pat was sitting there. Just pave the streets and fund the fire department and leave me alone, right? To get a little playful with that word, uh, that phrase, how do you identify? Uh, the way we use that phrase is somewhat new to the lexicon. Use it now. How do you identify? Someone might say, I identify gay. Someone might say, I identify straight. Someone might say, I identify black or Hispanic. And... Um, on reflection, it's not as black and white to make those kinds of decisions as well. I got to thinking about my son-in-law. My son-in-law uh, was born and raised in Houston. Uh, he went to Southwestern for in the Austin area. But he's also second-generation Mexican-American. His father uh, legally immigrated from Mexico many years ago. And as a boy, he grew up going to Mexico for Christmas and for Easter. And he was nurtured in that, in that culture. 
And I've watched him over the years as he kind of struggles with that. Am I Mexican? Am I American? Am I Mexican-American? What does that mean? I'm married into this Anglo family, and I live in largely an Anglo world, but that's not the culture that raised me. And I know, you know, Hispanic, what does that mean? He's, He's not quite sure what it's all supposed to mean. Well, they were here for Christmas Eve, and... Uh, he was in a mood, and I I say that very sympathetically. I'm sure he was homesick. Uh, He's used to Christmas Eve being with his family, and now Christmas Eve he's with this family that he's married into. And so he said, uh, said, what do you Americans eat for Christmas? (laughs) Which seemed very strange to me. And again, I'm very sympathetic to his struggle. Um... And he said, what do you Americans eat for Christmas? I said, tamales. <laughs> well, what do you Mexicans eat for Christmas? He chilled out a little bit after that. How do you identify who are you? My point being, we're a little bit of all kinds of things, right? Especially here in Texas. Especially here in Fredericksburg. Are you German? Are you German-American? What does any of that mean? How do you identify? Maybe the old way would have been, who are you? Who are you? How do you understand yourself? When I was a kid, I was Dorothy and Enos's son, and that's who I was. And I had good parents, and they were well-respected in the community, and being Dorothy and Enos's son was usually a pretty good gig and opened doors for me more often than not. Every once in a while, I closed the door. Every once in a while, I struggled against it, but most of the time, I embraced it for all that it meant to me. Who are you? How do you identify? Some people primarily think of themselves in socioeconomic categories. I'm divorced. That's who I am. Or I'm old. That's who I am. Or I'm millennial. Or I'm a boomer. Or I'm manic depressive. Or I'm wounded, I'm addictive, I'm broken, I'm a victim. These are the things that sometimes we use to understand ourselves and who we think we are. Years ago, I was going through the candidacy program to get ordained, and we had a a group meeting. It was several older ordained elders and us candidates, and, and in this meeting, one of the elders pointed at me and he says who are you and I said I'm baptized and they love that okay (laughs) that's profound stuff right and I had some of my candidate friends accuse me more than once of just charming my way through the candidacy process (laughs) and I'm sure they were right at times but I was quite sincere at that exact moment. You know, I was, I was baptized as a baby, and that didn't mean anything to me, and I was starting to try to figure that out. I was in my 20s, and I didn't have a, a conversion experience so much as I, I fell in love with Jesus for the second time. I, I grew up immersed in the church, and I loved Jesus. I, some of my earliest memories were prayer memories. And I had a faith. It was a childlike faith. But the trouble is, a childlike faith doesn't always serve you well as an adult. And, 
And I, I fell in love with Jesus in a, in a new and different way as an adult. I fell in love with Scripture and the, and the faith and the, the tradition. And this baptism, again, I was, I was trying to claim that and understand that for myself. Who am I? How do I identify? Well, I think I need to identify as baptized. I think I need to try to understand myself like that. Who am I? I'm baptized. For all that that means. For all that that means. Jesus comes to John the, the Baptist to get baptized and as Lisa and the puppets uh, so illustrated so well Jesus comes to get baptized and gets baptized and that has bothered the church to various degrees over the centuries if Jesus is perfect why does he need to get baptized and indeed, that very issue is what's going on in that scripture that was read to you from Matthew. Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and John says, Oh, no, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus says, No, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness, which is a very vague response. I don't think Jesus gets baptized because he needs to be baptized. I think he wants to be baptized because I think, he, I think that means he wants to identify with us. I mean, can you imagine Jesus not getting baptized and what that would mean for us? No, Jesus isn't going to ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. And all through the scriptures, Jesus is identifying with us. Jesus identifies with what it means to be us. Jesus knows the joy of being at a wedding celebration. Jesus knows what it is to have family and friends and to be nurtured in a little small town among friends, neighbors, and, and relatives. Jesus also knows what it is to get your heart broken by those same family and friends that the people that love you the most, can hurt you the most. And that's what Jesus experiences, that his friends betray him. He, he identifies with our pain. He identifies with our rejection. He even identifies with what it means to face our own death. Jesus identifies with us. In my baptism, I identify with Jesus, but sometimes I forget that Jesus is determined to identify with me as well. Jesus is baptized for all that that means. I identify with Jesus. Jesus identifies with me. And then you have this other scripture from the 10th chapter of Acts where Peter, who also identifies with Jesus, begins to realize that when you identify with Jesus, you might have to start hanging around people you don't really identify with. I would encourage you to, to go home and read that whole 10th chapter of Acts. It's, it's one of the longest stories uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And John, he's, he's at home and he has this vision and a dream of this sheet that comes down from heaven and there's all these non-kosher animals on it. And this voice says, take and eat. And he says, never, I'd never break 
your law to eat what's unclean. And three times this happens and it goes back up into heaven. And then there's a knock on the door and there's these messengers from Cornelius, a centurion, a Gentile, a pagan. And he goes with them and he begins to preach to these Gentile pagans and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're speaking in tongues and they want to be baptized and Peter and the church is astonished, astonished. Peter says, I now realize, and that just slays me every time I read that. It takes him 10 chapters of church history, four gospels and three years of hanging out with Jesus and he still hadn't got it. Jesus says to the church, go out and, and to all nations, and they don't go to all nations. Baptize all people. They don't baptize all people. But if all means all, all might mean me. All means me. And Peter begins to realize that all means all of us together. God shows no partiality, it says. And that's not easy for Peter. It's not easy for the church. It's never been that easy for the church. I'm baptized for everything that means. And most of the time, that's a source of comfort and strength for me. I'm baptized. I'm anointed. I'm claimed, I'm died for, I'm promised. And sometimes when things aren't going well, particularly if I'm in conflict with someone, I, I kind of run this tape in my head. I don't say it out loud, but I just think, I'm baptized and you better not mess with me. <laughs> because I belong to the big guy. And you don't want to mess with the big guy. You mess with me, you're messing with the big guy. And I belong to the big guy. And I'm died for and I'm treasured and I'm loved and you can't treat me this way now there's that whole turning the other cheek thing and so I kind of have to do that <laughs> when I think I am a poor example of what it means to be baptized I identify with Jesus but I didn't represent Jesus very well in what I said and do and it's not easy doing the right thing sometimes I remember years ago, I was uh, in a little small town, and this woman, she wasn't a member of our church, uh, but she came to see me. She came to see me at the parsonage. We sat out on the front porch. Um, one of the principals at the school, she felt like he had wronged her son, and the principal was a member of my church. That's why she came to talk to me. And she felt like that her son had been treated unfairly. It was kind of a justice issue, but she also felt like it was a, a race issue. She was Hispanic. The principal was Anglo, and she felt like that was a, a part of what had happened. And she's a good, faithful Christian woman, and she's struggling with this. She wants justice. She wants her son to be treated fairly, but she knows she's got to to be a Jesus person in this and she didn't quite know how to approach this and there's this long pregnant pause and I said don't you wish every once in a while you could just be a pay guilty about it later and she says yes <laughs> but I can't it's not that easy being baptized sometimes for all that it means 
And by the way, in this story, the principal eventually went and apologized to her. He did get it wrong, and he knew it, and he's a Jesus person too, and he was trying to figure that out as well. It's not easy to apologize, but he knew he had to do it. I think what might be helpful is so often we talk about baptism as a requirement, and it is, but the way the Bible tends to think of it is it's a gift. It's a gift, not a requirement. It is a requirement. Mostly it's this gift. It's this gift of forgiveness. It's this gift of grace. It's this gift of of love that you didn't deserve because you ran away in the dark when Jesus needed you. You've been given the gift. And, And Peter begins to realize that anybody that wants this gift, anybody that wants this gift can receive this gift. I think I've told this story before, but when I was in seminary, I was going to preach at my home church on baptism in the Lord's Sunday, and I was going to do a children's sermon, and I was going to ask the kids if they knew when they were baptized. And so I got thinking about that, and I thought, well, I don't know exactly when I was baptized. So I called my mother, and I said, Mom, do you remember the exact day when I was baptized? And she said, did we ever get around to having you baptized? I said, what do you mean? Did you get around to it? He said, well, I know we baptized your sister. I don't know if we baptized you. I said, Mom, I'm ordained. Of course I'm baptized. Don't let the bishop know this. I... He laid hands on me. You get down to that church and you go through those church records and you find out when I was baptized. <laughs> had about a three-day existential crisis in the grave. I had to think about that. I thought, well, I might not have gotten water on my head, but I wanted the gift. And I received the gift. Of grace and forgiveness, hope, future. That's what baptism means. In baptism, we're given a name. That's kind of the old fashioned way. You didn't get named until you were baptized. You're given a name. In my baptism, I'm George. That's really all I have to be before God. In our baptism, we're set free from how the world wants to shove us into every category you can think of. We are baptized. You are baptized. You're not a category. You're not a label. You're not a diagnosis. And you have been given this gift of forgiveness future, hope, purpose, promise, resurrection itself. In a moment, I'm going to ask Jackie to come up and and lead us in a renewal of baptism. But I want to suggest to you that maybe you um, 
Spend the week meditating on this. Walk around with, with your baptism. Claim it. Pray it. Talk about it. And if you're not baptized, I'm glad you're here today. And I just want you to anticipate what God might actually be calling you towards on this day.